here is Jesus multiplying bread. So as these miracles occur, the crowd is asking themselves, is Moses, our hero of Passover, superseded now by Jesus? Could this be the second exodus that we've been promised? And so I want you to feel the questioning, the confusion, the like anticipation, the excitement. There's like a vibration of expectancy among the crowd. And then enter Jesus at the synagogue in Capernaum. This is John 6, 26 to 35. Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, you are looking for me, not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Do not work for food that spoils, but for food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has placed his seal of approval. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? And Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. So they asked him, what sign will you give that we may see and believe you? What will you do? Our ancestors ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, very truly, I tell you, it is not Moses who has given you the bread from heaven, but it is my father who gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, they said, always give us this bread. Then Jesus declared, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And so it's important to note that um, this is an agricultural society. So most of the crowd are like fishermen, farmers. They don't have much. They're impoverished. This is a poor society. So in some material sense, their like wide-eyed fascination with the manna miracle is kind of knee-jerk. These people actually just need food, and they have seen Jesus provide it for them before. So when Jesus says in verse 26, very truly I tell you, you're looking for me not because you saw the signs I performed, but because you ate loaves and you had your fill, I actually think Jesus is just recognizing their experience of life. He's recognizing their hardship, their challenge, because they are looking to him for immediate relief. And so as he preaches in the synagogue, his basic message is this. I am the manna from heaven, just like your ancestors received in the desert. I am walking on water, just like Moses walked through the parted sea. I am the God who does those things for you. And the reason he's saying this is because those things are important. Our physical needs are important to him. So first, let's acknowledge that material needs are important to God. But they're not as important as what he goes on to say. I am the bread of life. Because what Jesus primarily comes to do is satisfy our, our like spiritual breadlessness. And what does that actually mean? What was Jesus offering on that day in the synagogue? And more, what is he offering to us this morning? I am. Let's start there. Um, Ed walked us through a bit more in detail about this last week. So if you didn't hear it please go and listen to it on the podcast. It's a very good talk. It kind of blew my mind. Um, but when God revealed himself to Moses through the burning bush and um, asks him to go to Pharaoh, the, thir- the first thing Moses says is, who are you? Like, who shall I say sent me? And God says, tell them I am has sent you. Or the Hebrew word for I am is Yahweh. Yahweh has sent you. 
And when God reveals his name to Moses, the Israelites are so in awe, so in reverence. They didn't even say Yahweh out loud. They didn't even write the name Yahweh down because it was too holy to write, too holy to utter. Why? Because when God says, I am, he is Yahweh, God is saying, I always am. I have no beginning. I have no end. I am the beginning. I am endless. And even more than that, I am being itself. Nothing caused me. Nothing can stop me. I depend on nothing. Everything depends on me. God's power and authority is revealed in his name. And Jesus is saying in this moment, that's me. Jesus is unequivocally defining who he is. I am the beginningless, transcendent God, infinitely exalted above the world and the universe, upon which everything that has being depends. That's me. Do you understand how blasphemous that is? That's the reason they instantly tried to kill him. And as we've touched upon, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, he immediately invokes the story of the manna in the wilderness. And now, as we've just read, he's literally talking about the manna. But in ancient times, bread actually just meant something. Just bog standard, normal bread meant something. Because they didn't really have meat at every meal, it was very expensive. So bread was a life source. And because bread was so prominent, it became a symbol for food itself. And that's why when Jesus is asked in Luke's gospel, we've all heard this, when they're like, Lord, how should we pray? And what should we pray for? Um, and Jesus says at one point, you should pray, give us today our daily bread. Because it actually meant everything I need to live. I am the bread of life. I am everything you need to live. Um, as most of you probably know, I'm currently in a visa process to stay in LA and to work at Bread because I love you all so much. Um, and honestly, watching this community grow and become a thing and seeing our church become a community has been without doubt the greatest joy of my life. No pressure. Um, let's keep it that way, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> And this is not some kind of like weird ploy to like tell you how much I love you and then say you should volunteer, but also Alice at bread.church, you're welcome to volunteer. Um, I would love it if you all volunteered. Um, but the week of the Easter service, I had a notification from USCIS and it basically said that they intend, intended to deny my visa application unless I could provide additional documentation. And I, this this kind of, official document is basically like last chance saloon. It's them being like, you got 30 days or you're gone. Um, and just before I continue, just to allay some potential stress that I've just induced, um, I went to see a lawyer. I've now submitted this addi additional information I should hear within 60 days. So it should be okay. But when I first received the letter, what did I do? I very successfully compartmentalized the stress and chose not to think about it because I am exceptional at compartmentalizing. But what happened when the, the adrenaline, when the Easter service was done, the adrenaline left my body on Monday, a lot of catastrophizing happened in my mind. 
I was getting two or three hours of sleep a night. I managed to rewatch almost two seasons of Game of Thrones during those hours. And that's my like thing into like, oh my gosh, tonight, guys. Anyway, <laughs> completely irrelevant, but I'm pumped. Um, I find it incredibly hard to switch off under high stress because um, I'm the kind of person who makes it my mission to um, think of every potential eventuality and then like kind of like game plan my way back in con into control. So I'm the kind of person who that whole week I was thinking, if I have to go back to London, I need, to, I need a place to live. Okay, cool, who can I text? I need a job. I need at least maybe three or four job opportunities or avenues. What are my friends doing right now in London? Could I like infiltrate my way into one of their businesses? Like, oh, three of my friends now have a car. One of them can come and pick me up from the airport. Like, I think of like ridiculous things. Because control makes me feel safe and emotions make me feel unsafe. And visa applications are a hotbed of uncertainty. And you have to surrender to an outcome that you have no active role in influencing. So kind of in short, visa applications don't gel well with my personality. <laughs> but in my week of catastrophe, what am I actually feeling beneath it all now that I can look back? Has God abandoned me? Have I ever heard God's voice? Maybe I'm in the wrong job. Maybe I'm not supposed to be in LA or work for bread. Actually, quite frankly, maybe I'm not supposed to work in ministry. Maybe I just heard that wrong. Maybe God is trying to teach me something. And this is pretty normal for me, compartmentalize something until it becomes too stressful and then you let the pressure cap off and it infiltrates into your whole life and exactly what you know to be true about God suddenly seems to not be true anymore. Um, it permeates. And ultimately, the lie that underpins all of those experiences for me, all of those things when I feel way overstressed, is does God love me? Does he really love me? Verse 27, do not work for food that spoils, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. In other words, the bread multiplied for the 5,000 represented something higher, something deeper. Obviously, bread gives you physical life. We all know that. But he's talking about something beyond that. So what is eternal life? One, I'm going to have three points, guys. Um, one, it's a quality of life. There are two Greek words that can be translated life, and that's kind of like the issue with us reading and understanding the Bible in English. So we kind of like miss out on some stuff. But one word is bios, which is more co closely translated to um, physical existence. And the other word is zoe, which is quality of life. And a piece of trivia about me, because you guys just won't stop asking for trivia about me. Um, I love birds of prey. Eagles, hawks, vultures, buzzards, kites, kestrels, offspray, you name it, I like it. And I can probably tell you when we see one together. Um, I have been known to weep with awe watching them fly or soar because there's a difference. <laughs> Flying and soaring, different thing. Um, or even when they catch prey, I've like cried with like, you did that really well. <laughs> um, but when I was last in Yosemite, 
I managed to spot two offspray nesting with like three little chicks. And in the scenic like grandeur of Yosemite, while these two offspray took turns hunting for their chicks, so watching them hover above the water and then dive for fish. And other side cool fact about offspray is that they're in the top three um, anglers category, which means that they catch between they catch one in four fish that they die for. It's very, very cool. Bird watching facts. Um, cool, I've just kind of outed myself. I just feel like all of your eyes are like, she's not as cool as I thought she was. Um, but in that moment, with half dome in my eyeline and a warm breeze on my face, I remember thinking, this is actually the life. This is actually life. I've hiked, it's silent. I don't have signal on my phone. This is life, this is experiencing life, this is exciting, it's peaceful, it's exhilarating. And this is Zoe. It's when our lives are exciting and thrilling, when we're filled with energy, when we laugh loads, and we're fascinated and we're compelled. Zoe is a quality of life. It's what makes life worth living. It's life beyond existing. Because it's one thing just to exist, right? But we don't want to exist, we want to live. And Zoe is what gets us past existing into living. It literally says in verse 27, the son of man will give you eternal Zoe, quality of life. Two, eternal life is often understood as something that we are kind of like looking toward, looking forward to a destination or an experience that we haven't arrived at. We're going to achieve it at some point. But Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And that means each one of us, you, I, everyone out there in the streets of LA is experiencing a deeper hunger than physical hunger. And obviously, small aside, our city is one that is overwhelmingly characterized by physical hunger, material need. And God cares about that. In fact, Jesus doesn't feed the 5,000 to just like make a point. He actually wants their stomachs to be satisfied. He wants their needs to be met. And he feels the same way about those people that we see on the streets. He cares about physical need. But there is a deeper emptiness than physical hunger. And we're all trying to find things to move us from, from existing to real living. And unless it's Jesus and the bread that he gives, it will not endure. Verse 27, if you look to anything else to deal with that spiritual hunger, it will spoil. Don't work for food that spoils. And this language weaves us right back into the manna miracle in the wilderness again. I'm sure that some of you know that in that miracle, God says to the Israelites, don't gather up more than you need for today because tomorrow morning you'll wake up and there'll be more manna on the floor and you can gather it up again. But don't, don't gather more than you need. Don't store it up. Don't hoard it up because it will spoil. It will rot. And I don't think God did that to taunt them or I know that he didn't or to cause them unnecessary anxiety or stress, like, where's my next meal going to come from? I think God was saying, I want you to be looking at me for your life. Don't look to the manna. Don't exalt the miracle too highly. I'll provide for you. 
I'll provide when you need it, but I'm the one who can sustain. I'm the one that can provide. And everybody in this room, everybody is trying to find some means to move from bios to zoe. Everybody is trying to move from just existing to life. And just like the manor, these things are good. They are countries we plan to see, career developments we hope to make, visions and dreams for our creative outlets, businesses we hope to build, having a family, experiencing love, giving love. Or if you're anything like me, drinking copious amounts of really, really, really good red wine. None of these things are bad. My visa application and like really wanting to stay here is not bad. It's kind of like my manner right now in some sense. These are all ways of moving from bios to zoe. But Jesus says, if you rest your heart in them, if you become enamored and obsessed by them, they'll spoil. I mean, just look at the most successful people in our, even in our city, let alone our world. Those faces that cover the billboards that we see every day or the faces that are on our TV screens when we turn it on. Has their hard work, has their success, their fame really endured? Or has it spoiled? Has it satiated their spiritual hunger, their emptiness at the heart of things? Has it transferred them successfully from bios to zoe? Do you ever hear them say that in an in interview? I'm totally fulfilled now, I've got fame. Jesus says, only I can do that. We spend our lives in church hearing stories of people experiencing extraordinary things. Some people have seen miraculous healings. Others have heard God's voice really clearly like we heard when people were saying prophetic words. Others seem to know to their bones that Jesus is who he says he is and they don't seem to let up on it. And still others seem to have answered prayers left, right and center. And sometimes those stories are really faith building. You're like, yes, this can happen to me. <laughs> I'll keep praying. But other times it's really anger inducing and stress building, and just like, why have I not seen any of these things? Why can't Jesus be real for me in that way? Why can't he meet me powerfully like I just heard about last week? And I have so much empathy for those feelings because I have felt them before, and I'm pretty certain I'll feel them again because humans. Um, And just before um, his teaching on the bread of life or saying, I am the bread of life, the crowd asked Jesus to perform another miracle because they want to see another proof, another sign. Jesus is declaring his divinity. I am the bread of life and they want him to prove it. And if I'm honest, I really do read that and go like, guys, who are you? Like Jesus just miraculously fed probably like 20,000 of you with five pita breads and a couple of anchovies. And you're telling him like, hey, we're just like looking for another miracle. It's like, cool. I don't, I, and I would be a liar if I said I don't read it and think that. But I have lived in LA miraculously for three years. The way I'm here is that very generous people in the UK are like paying for my way. 
I have learned more than I could have imagined learning. I have seen this church become something. I have made lifelong friends and I have seen God do innumerable miracles and amazing things. And in my week of catastrophe, the questions that are ringing in my ears are, does God love me? Has he abandoned me? Have I ever heard the voice of God? Maybe I'm in the wrong place. Please just do one last sign. Just get me a visa. That's all I'm asking for. And at the end of the week, one of my friends who didn't know any of this FaceTimed me, which was amazing, but it was kind of annoying. She called me and was like, anyway, hi, Al. I feel like what God wants you to know. And I was like, here we go. Um, she was like, I just think you need to know God utterly loves you. He's proud of you. He'll look after you. He has not abandoned you. And I was just like sitting in my room and I had this like rush of heat come all over my body, which is weirdly sometimes how I experience the spirit. It's like my, not only my hair's red, my face is red. Um, and in, the, in that moment, I realized whether I get the visa or not, Jesus is what I need. I was filled with peace and I got eight hours of sleep which is what humans need. So what is eternal life? One, it's a quality of life. Secondly, it begins now, now, and it goes on forever. And thirdly and finally, it's not actually something that Jesus gives you. It's Jesus himself. And obviously, I just want to realize that life is often harder than a mental processing of a visa application. But I think that all of us sometimes treat Jesus like someone we can get something from. He's useful until he's not. But what Jesus is saying here is that the meaning of life is him. He's the thing that's precious. He's the thing that we can't live without. So arguably, his usefulness is kind of neither here nor there. It turns out that he is really useful. But, and he his usefulness is kind of here, not there. Heavenly bread is not an abstract thing. It's a person. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the divine cosmic truth and reality become a person. He doesn't say, I have the bread of life, or I can show you the bread of life, or I can take you to where the bread of life is. I can find you on the way to the path of the bread of life. No, he says, I am the bread of life. So what do we do? We just have to come to him. And I'm going to end with this. Let's not beat ourselves up when we lose our focus. We all procrastinate, whether that's numbing ourselves or being hyper-focused on our achievements or sometimes something way more self-destructive. We've all been there. None of us are ever completely pure in motive, and we will no doubt wander off again. But this morning, let's come back to him. Let's be filled with his spirit and let him help us not hold on too tightly to those things that will spoil, those things that are like our manner. And let's be filled with his eternal, unending, Zoe-bringing love. Okay, shall we sing a song?